Good morning, church. Good morning. Happy week after Easter. By the way, we're excited we get to celebrate the resurrection every week here. Uh, praise God. And so if you were here last weekend, it was a powerful, powerful weekend as we looked at what God has done in Christ through the resurrection on our behalf. If you have your Bibles, grab them, open them. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning. Um, as you turn there, uh, would you all give a hand to our student team that led us in worship this morning? They did a phenomenal job. And uh, the, the message that the Lord has laid on my heart for today is entitled Suffering Saints. Suffering Saints. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. As I've been preparing for this Sunday, um, obviously Pastor Bobby is not here this week. Um, I saw and heard an audible sigh as that was announced during the welcome. It's okay. I promise, you know, I'll get you out early. It's going to be good. I'll, I'll try to be funny. Um, this is suffering this morning, right? The reason why I chose... To write, to write a sermon and to focus in on suffering, there's a lot of reasons. One of the main reasons is because we all suffer. No matter uh, who you are, uh, no matter how much money you make, no matter where you live, no matter uh, your resources, we all experience suffering. When I was going to write this sermon, I was gonna finish out my outline. Um, you know us and millennials, we love coffee shops, and so we don't even need offices. If you have any millennials that work for you, don't build an office, just tell them to go to a coffee shop, they'll get more work done there anyway. And so I was decided this week, I'm gonna go to a coffee shop, I'm gonna finish my outline, make sure it's good, spend some time on it. And, and I get in the car and I drive to one of my favorite coffee shops, and as I'm on my way, there's a bridge out. And they're, they're working on the bridge and you can't go over it. It was, it was three minutes away from the shop. And I thought, oh my goodness, okay. Well, there's a detour sign. So I was like, I'll take the detour. So I turned left, I followed the detour. Have you ever been on a detour that only has one sign? That's the detour that I was on. And, and so I turned left, I followed the detour sign and I'm like, where's the next one? Where's the next one? There is no next one. Uh, and, and lo and behold, I get lost. And so I, I bring up my phone. I was like, well, I'll type it in. Now I'm 15 minutes away from this coffee shop. Okay, well, I was three minutes away. Now I'm 15 minutes away. I keep driving, keep driving. And I hit another set of construction that's down to one lane. And so now I'm waiting in a, in a one lane way and they're letting this side go. And, and anytime you're in that situation, they always let that side go way more than your side and you're just sitting there frustrated what in the world why in the world can I not drive and I'm just trying to get to a coffee shop trying to do the Lord's work please let me through and finally I get around and I get to the coffee shop and I, I park and I walk up to the to the front door and they have changed their logo they've apparently rebranded and now there's a skull on the front of this coffee shop and spider webs everywhere and, and it now says not just coffee it says coffee and beer and I thought oh my goodness I can see it now the Southern Baptist pastor writing a sermon surrounded by images of death and beer right and, and so I, I was like what do I do Lord I go in for a second got uncomfortable I left uh, so we all experience different levels of suffering. And some of it can be minor, but the longer we live, the more we realize there's actually depth to our suffering as well. So it's not just detours, it's death, it's disease, it's miscarriages, it's losing that spouse, it's losing that job. And, and just to be quite honest with you, I've been here um, on staff for about 11 years, 
And uh, this has been a season in my life and a season I feel like in the life of our church where suffering has been very prominent. There has been way too many funerals in this room of students, those in their 20s. I have uh, senior guys in my, in my group. Three of them have lost their fathers in the last two years. My own dad, who was on staff here for a long time, obviously he continues to decline and battle with Lewy body dementia. And that is a season that I did not expect. And I'm sure if you're in this room, if you're not in a season of suffering, one's coming. So what do we cling to in seasons of suffering? What can we hang on to? And so if you're in Romans chapter eight, uh, we're gonna read verses 18 through 30. Before we do, I wanna give you a little bit of background. So this is Paul writing to the church of Rome. Uh, he's writing probably during his third missionary journey. He's probably in Corinth writing this letter. The church of Rome, he wants it to be a prominent church because he is hoping that this will become a base of operations for his mission work. He wants to get to Rome so he can get to Spain, so he can give the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he is hoping and praying, I'm gonna give a doctrinally rich letter to this church to try to shore them up so that they will be ready to be used in a mighty way by God. And he talks about the gospel and then he talks about sin. And as he would get to chapter eight, he starts talking about suffering. And he probably, maybe he wasn't aware of this, but soon the Lord certainly was. Nero and his persecution of this church is fast approaching. Eight to 10 years, they're gonna be under that persecution. And so he is writing about suffering and he gives us something to cling on to. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would stand with me uh, in the honor of God's word, we're gonna read verses 18 through 30. And here's what Paul writes. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope, we hope for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself, he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the Bible is rich and it is not all rainbows and sunshine. You also give us what we need to be equipped to navigate walking in this sinful world. And so right now I pray that your spirit would be in the room. This text tells us that he is with us when we suffer. I pray that he would illuminate this word to us. I pray that you would use my words just to speak your truth. Would you give us the grace to respond rightly as we think about, we don't wanna be Christians who are just in it when it's good, fair weather believers. We wanna be Christians who are with you, walking with you, grounded in you, no matter what the world throws at us. So I pray that this sermon, for as brief as it is, would help shore us up in that. So God, we, we need you. We thank you for Christ. He is the only way that we have any hope in our suffering. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we have a lot to cover and we do not have a lot of time. And so uh, if this feels like drinking out of a fire hydrant, it's okay. Just write down what you can. We'll see some, some pins flying around. So before we talk about what to cling to in suffering, I wanna just real briefly talk about why do we even suffer? Why, why does suffering exist for us as believers? If God is good, God is in control, then why do we even suffer? And I think there's four reasons why we suffer. The first reason that we suffer is personal sin. Personal sin. Uh, we love theme parks as a family. So we have three little boys, Barrett, Bennett, and Bryson. They are six, four, and two, which means we don't sleep, but we have a lot of fun. Um, and we love to take them to Dollywood. We love to ride rides. And this past fall break, we actually took them to Universal Studios in Orlando. Um, it was, uh, I don't know what we were thinking. We're, we're crazy. Um, but we get there, and of course it's packed, and it's hot, and we have three kids. And we're like, what? we paid money to be here? What are we, what are we doing? And, and we're walking around, and anybody who's ever had more than two kids, there's a shift where you now can no longer look at all three of them at the same time. I'm sure if you have four or five in the room, it just gets worse. And so we are in one of the busiest parts of Universal Studios. Concrete floor just rained. We're like, we need a break. It's hot. And so the boys start jumping in the puddles and we're like, oh, this is great. Um, we'll just kind of relax here. And all of a sudden I look over and I see two employees with just this look of disgust on their face. And I'm like, what are they doing? Why are they, why are they so angry at us? And I, then I notice what they're looking at. And it's Bryson, who was actually one at the time, who is no longer splashing in the puddle. He has gotten down on his hands and knees and he is now drinking from the muddy puddle, slurping it up. They're shocked, we're shocked. They're like, who gave these people kids? This is not okay. So we grab him and I'm like, oh, you're gonna be sick. Welcome to sickness. And, and some of us, with our decisions, we're kind of like that where we're drinking from these dirty, muddy sources that we think are gonna satisfy us, and then we get sick and we blame God. And personal sin is a key reason why we suffer. And, and if that's you this morning, then I would encourage you, repent. Lay that down before Christ, find grace there, and, and walk in holiness and obedience. 
But personal sin is a reason that we suffer, but that's not the only reason that we suffer. We also suffer because of the sins of others, choices that they make that affect us. We can, sin, we can suffer because of the sin of living in a, just a cursed world. Hurricanes, tornadoes, death, disease, those are things that are just the example of what it looks like to live in a world that's been fallen with sin. And then lastly, I think we can suffer because of, of spiritual warfare. You think about Job, you think about Peter, sometimes there's a spiritual warfare going on. But Justin West preached to our students this past uh, Wednesday and he actually said this statement, he said, suffering exists because sin exists. And I think that's pretty good. That is why we suffer. But what do we cling to in the midst of that suffering? What does God, this is your first blank, so if you're a blank person, you're pretty mad because those were not on the blank, so here's your blank. Uh, what does God promise us when we suffer? What does God promise us when we suffer? The very first thing that he promised us, us is an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. Verse 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. They're not worth comparing. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he actually says, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Our sufferings are not worth comparing to the eternity that is to come. And you might read that and be like, well, Paul, he, he just must not have suffered a lot. Well, if you know anything about Paul, you know that Paul was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was, he was imprisoned for his faith, he suffered immensely. He was whipped multiple times, 39 lashes, right? Three different times. He suffered immensely throughout his life. And yet, one of the frustrating things that Paul's opponents found is that they couldn't break him. Just no matter what they did, they were like, all right, listen, you keep preaching like that, we're gonna throw you in prison. You know what Paul said? Praise God. I'm gonna share the gospel with all your guards and we're gonna reach the house of Caesar with Christ. They said, well, then we're gonna kill you. And you know what Paul said? Well, to die is gain. I would much rather be in the house of my Lord than here anyway. That is amazing. Take my life. Well, then we're gonna let you live. Well, to live is Christ. I'm gonna keep doing my ministry and do whatever it takes. And no matter what they did to Paul, they could not touch Paul because he was grounded in eternity. He didn't live for this world. And I get it, it is, it is easy to get caught up in your job, in your finances, in success, in your kids. It's easy to look at this 80 years and just think, this is it, this is what I got. What car am I gonna drive next? Where am I gonna go next? We had a, a baseball game for Barrett yesterday. It was his first baseball game and he's in like T-ball training league, meaning they don't even keep score, right? But he gets one hit and my heart is immediately like, he's going to the MLB. I'm putting him in a, a league. We are doing travel ball. We're going. Those other kids can't hit like that. That is amazing. He is naturally gifted, right? And I start to put my hope in that and just my kids, man, maybe he's gonna do something that I could never do because I was terrible at baseball, right? And, and there is a tendency in us to ground ourselves in things that ought not to be grounded in, things that are passing away. Or even if we have a life that is successful, even if we have a life where we make a lot of money and our kids get all the scholarships and they become famous and, and every, eventually that deathbed moment is coming for each and every single one of us and the only thing that's gonna last is Christ. An eternal 
perspective. In the midst of our suffering, we must be grounded in eternity. This passage even says, even the dirt is longing for redemption. Even the ground itself draws us back to Genesis 3, where we have the the curse pronounced on the ground because of Adam and Eve's sin. And even, even creation is longing for redemption. It's groaning for redemption. It mentions that, that these groans are actually the childbirth pains. Um, and so I've never given birth uh, because I'm a man, but I, I know I've been in the room three times as my wife has given birth. Um, it is terrifying and stressful. I'm sorry, and I didn't even do anything. I just held the snacks, right? Um, but something they would always tell Amber, you know, we, we did the birth classes and and we were like, went for weeks with the first kid, the second kid, didn't even think about that, and we didn't really utilize a lot of the classes with any of them. But, uh, but they would always say, hey, when you feel a co- contraction, you need to know that even though it's painful, it's actually good. Because that means that it, your body is working to do what it's called to do, right? That means this, there's an end time on this event. Contractions are actually causing something. And the imagery here that Paul uses is of the earth, the creation, groaning with childbirth pains, which eventually will break forth to joy. So while there's suffering and heartache and hardship and disease and destruction, eventually these things are gonna break way to life. The illustration he says is not only do we, the, does the earth groan, we also groan. We also desire for there to be redemption. Eternity is coming. So I thought about how to illustrate this well. And, and one of the things that I think is helpful is to imagine a bucket of water. <clears throat> so this actually, I took it from the baptistry. Don't tell anybody. Um, I don't think that they'll notice. But this is a bucket of water, right? Let me ask you a question. Is this a lot of water? Well, I just, it depends, right? If I, if I pour this over your head this morning, you're gonna go home and you're gonna say, Brian poured a lot of water on me today at church. I had to leave, it was embarrassing, right? Campus shepherds escorted me out and I had to go change, right? If, if you get this poured on your head this morning, this is a lot of water. But if I put you on a boat and I'm like, hey, let's go into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and I want you to take your bucket of water and I want you to dump it into the ocean, do you think that anybody on the beach was like, hmm, the sea level just rose a little bit? <laughs> Man, I, I bet somebody, somebody added water to this ocean. It was not this full when I got here. I know for a fact, I'm a, I've got a keen eye. No. Nobody notices. Because this may feel like a lot of water, and it's heavy. And if I dump it on you, it's a lot of water. But the, the answer is, what are you comparing it to? Our sufferings that we are walking in, they are real. They are heavy. They are tangible. Sometimes our arms get tired. We feel like we can't make it. We can't do it. We can't keep going. And all of a sudden, God's word comes along and says, you have all of eternity to look forward to. And these light and momentary afflictions will fade. In eight billion years from now, you're not gonna look at this situation the same way that you're looking at it now. And so hang on and have an eternal perspective. Your suffering is real, 
but it is nothing in comparison to heaven. It's nothing in comparison to the eternal joy that lies before us. So have hope. And then point number two. What else can we cling to whenever we suffer? Because to be honest, um, we, you may hear that and you think, oh, that's great. You know, the, I can be encouraged, but I still feel tired. I still feel weak. I still feel like I don't have it all together. Well, praise God. That's not the only promise we have. Point number two, we're also promised his very presence. His very presence. Verses 26 through 27 says this, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In the midst of our suffering, we're promised an eternal perspective and we're promised God's very presence. The Spirit is with us. He's praying for us. I love that it says in, in our weakness. It doesn't say in our strength. Okay, well, you've got it all together. In your strength, the Spirit prays for you. No, it says in your weakness, it pr- He's praying for you. And He prays in a way that is in, in accordance with the Father's will, which is beautiful because every prayer that the Holy Spirit prays on your behalf, which is often in suffering, is answered with a resounding yes because He prays exactly what the Father would have for you. He knows exactly what you need. And he, all of those prayers are answered with a yes. And the Spirit is with you. He is present with you. He is walking alongside of you. It is okay if you feel weak in your weakness. God is strong on your behalf and he is groaning and praying for you. Have you ever been a kid? You, I remember being a kid and walking up to, have you ever been a kid? We've all been kids. Uh, I remember being a kid and walking up to my, my dad in church. I remember grabbing his pant leg, you know, to get his attention. That's how little I was. I've got these vivid images of just grabbing his pant legs, like pay attention to me. You know, you you get away from your dad for a while and then you kind of feel uncomfortable and you want to go and be in his presence. I remember one time I went to do that and I pulled on his pants. I was like, hey, pay attention to me. And I looked up and it was a man I I didn't know. And I was so terrified. I ran out of the room. I didn't talk to him the rest of my life, right? And, And I went and found my dad because there's power in presence, there's power in being in God's presence and knowing that even though I walk through sufferings, I don't walk alone. I promised his very presence. And then the last one is this, a shaping purpose. A shaping purpose. Romans eight twenty eight is a verse that you have probably all heard, right? You, maybe you got it on a coffee mug. Uh, maybe you have a t-shirt with this. Uh, maybe you've gone to somebody that's suffering and you've used this verse. I would highly encourage you to pause and pray before you do that because while it is true, uh, it's not always easy to stomach. But here's what Romans eight twenty eight says. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things are working together for good. Have you ever thought, what is the good? What does that mean? All things are working for good. Does that just mean that, all right, no matter what I go through, I'm going to get a good job? Does that mean that no matter what I go through, I'm going to have good health? Does that mean no matter what I go through, I'm going to have the money that I need? What is the good there? 
We're promised that all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. But we define good in a different way than God does pretty often. But the beauty of it is, is that he actually defines what the good is in the next verse, in verse 29. Paul goes on, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So your suffering has a shaping purpose. Point three. Your suffering has a shaping purpose. All things work together for good. But what are they doing? They're making you into the image of Christ. They're helping eliminate the sin. They're helping round you out. And God doesn't cause suffering, but he does use suffering. Think about Joseph in Genesis 50, where he's been sold into slavery and he rises up the ranks in a time where there is a famine and the only way for God's people to survive is if someone in Egypt takes care of them and Joseph is there, he sees the sovereignty of God all over that moment. And what does he say? He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He doesn't cause it, but he will use it. And if you are a believer, all suffering is being used by God to shape you and to conform you into the image of his son. One of my prayers that I have prayed often in this season of life is God, let it do its work. If I'm gonna walk through this, let it at least do the job that you want it to do. Let it chip away at the the edges of me, the things of me that are selfish and are not right and not in line with Christ in your word. It shapes us. I had a, a mentor in college. His name was John Powell. He's um, one of the most amazing men that I've ever met. Some of you have heard me talk about John before in the past, but in college, he, he invited a bunch of college guys from this Bible college in Louisville, Kentucky into his garage on Tuesday nights and he taught us skills how to change the oil, uh, how to put up drywall, how to do a pull-up, how to ride a bull, just things that you would need in common day life, right? And, and John knew uh, that Bible college students, they may, they may have a lot of Bible knowledge, but they probably don't have a lot of practical knowledge. And so he was like, why don't you guys come over to my garage? We re-roofed his house, which was just a way for him to, give us, to get free labor. Um, uh, but he taught us skills. One of the things he mentioned to me when I was in college is, hey, you know you can turn a railroad spike into a knife. I was like, I wanna do that. That's amazing. How do you do that? He's like, well, you need heat, you need pressure. And, and so he, he started talking to me about that. Well, almost two years ago, uh, John is a, was a pastor in, in Texas and he is on his way um, up to get a, a truck to redo with his boys, four kids, 38 years old. He's on his way up there. And as he's on the way with a buddy, he, he sees a wreck in the interstate car is catching fire, and so he pulls over, and this is typical John, he's not gonna sit and wait for somebody else to do something. He gets out, he runs to the car, and he begins to pull him and his buddy, these people from this burning car. As he turns around and he looks, there's a semi-truck heading directly for him. He pushes his friend, this is what the police report says, he pushes his friend out of the way, John is hit by the truck, gone in an instant. I remember flying to Houston, weeping at his funeral, and being thankful for eternity. But it also set me on a mission because John talked about skills and and he talked about how to make knives. And so does anybody know what this is right here? 
This is a farrier's rasp, right? This is a horseshoer's rasp. And so Amber's uh, uncle is actually a horseshoer. And uh, that's where I got this one from. And if you don't know, this is used to, to make sure that the shoe on the horse is, is lined up as it should be. Um, but when they get old, they get dull, and they need a new purpose. And so I, I have a bunch of these, and I wanted to do something different with them. I wanted to turn this into a knife that could be used for years to come for different things. And so I had to do something. I had to apply heat in a forge. I had to apply pressure. There had to be a shaping moment, there, there were scales that broke off in that moment, and in the end, the end result of, of all of this work uh, was a knife right here that's actually made out of one of these horse rasps. And the imagery that Paul is using is the imagery of being in the flames. Some of us feel like that. We feel like we're in the flames, but in those moments, we're pretty malleable. That's almost when God shapes us the most. And so your suffering is meant to conform you into the image of the Son. It's meant to shape you. So what do we, what do we cling to? We cling to an eternal perspective. We cling to God's very presence with us. We cling to a shaping purpose. Our suffering, it also speaks. You ever listen to somebody that's in the midst of suffering a little bit more diligently? It speaks. Colossians 1.24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings I'm filling up what is lacking. That sounds like heresy, by the way. What could be lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, nothing is lacking in Christ's afflictions in terms of its value, in terms of its ability to save and to redeem. But the only thing that Paul is mentioning there is that when I suffer, the gospel goes forth. The message of Christ goes forth. My suffering speaks. There's so many other things that we could talk about that God is doing in the midst of our sufferings, but we need to know that he alone has the answer for us. We can numb ourselves with toys and trinkets and achievements, all we want, but Christ alone is our solid rock. So I'm gonna ask our, our band to come on up and we're gonna have a time of invitation. And there's really two things that we need to be aware of this morning. The first thing that we need to be aware of is that this message is to suffering saints. It's not to suffering people, it is to suffering saints, it's to believers. Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to believers. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, this is not for you. Your suffering is simply meant to remind you that this world cannot satisfy you and to call you to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and be saved and have an eternal hope. But until you do that, this isn't for you. And my prayer, if you find yourself in that boat this morning, is that you would know that that grace is available. Paul called himself the chief of all sinners persecuting the church, murdering those who are proclaiming Christ, and then God.
got a hold of his heart. God can do the same for you this morning. Repent and believe and find purpose in your suffering. And then the last thing is, is for those who are in this room who are believers, uh, there's a beautiful gift of allowing others to bear your burdens. Galatians 6, 2 talks about bear one another's burdens. And it's been in this church that when my mom took her life when I was a sophomore, members of this church prayed for me. When my wife and I had two miscarriages early on in our marriage, it was members of this church that prayed for us. With my dad's diagnosis, it's been members of this church that have prayed for him and prayed for us and lifted us up. Grace is a special place. And there's a beauty in the midst of our suffering, and I know it's heavy, to just allow someone to come and to pray for you. And so as we sing, I pray that you would. You would either come and pray for someone else who you know is walking through this, or you would come to, to have prayer. Whatever it is, let's respond. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.